Um, this morning, what we're going to talk about, I, I guess I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. What we're going to talk about is something that's a little uh, different, a little, um, it's a somber topic this morning. And um, y- when you initially hear it, it may cause you to go, well, you know, we, like, we don't experience that here, or we don't experience that today. And um, I want to I challenge you to think this morning, before we jump into it, that that's not true. Um, what we're going to talk about, we do experience here today, and I want to challenge you to think through like ways in which um, this is like relevant in our lives and our culture today. Okay, so um, when we dig into it, hopefully it'll all make sense to you. But when we dig into it, be thinking about like what what is experienced. What Jesus talks about an experience in the Bible two thousand years ago. It does look different living in the United States today, but I want you to think about how it applies to your life today, okay? Um, so I want to start off this morning with a, um, just a question for you, just to cause you to think a little bit. And so I'm going to ask the question, and you're going to know immediately the church answer to give. Try to resist that temptation to just give like the default answer. Um, but I want you to, to really be honest with, your, with yourself and think about this. So here's the question. Do you really want to be close with God? You know, in, in, the, in the quietness of your heart, no one, I'm not going to make you say anything out loud or anything like that. Like, do, you, do you really want to have a, a close, intimate relationship with the God of the universe? Do you really want to live a godly life? Like if you were to, um, p- to choose a number on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is you have no interest in you know, having a, a close relationship with God, and 10 is you know, it's the most important thing in the world to you, what number would you be this morning as you walk in here? Like, do you really want to have a close relationship with God? Now, think of people in your life, either people that you've met or maybe that you've read about, that you would go, man, they, they have a close or had a close relationship with God. Like, get, those, get, get somebody in your head. Now, let me ask you, what was or is their life like? What's their life like? Are they, are they happy? Are they joyous people? Are they, are they deeply satisfied with their life? Is their life easy? Do they have many challenges? Do they face trials? Do they face opposition? Do they face persecution? When, when I think about people that are like the most godly people that um, you know, I, I think of the, the people that first come to mind are people in here, you know, like people that we read about in the Bible. And, and I, I think about their lives and I go, hmm, what is their, li- what were their lives like, you know? Were they happy? Yeah, many, seems like many times they were. Were they joyous? Seem, seems like it. Satisfied? Yep. Their lives easy? No. Did they face opposition? Yes. Did they face persecution at times? Yes, right? So as I think about people, the first person I think about in the Bible is uh, Moses. Some of you guys know about Moses. Moses, kind of back in the, the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, Moses was the leader of the nation of Israel. And so he kind of, God raised him up at a time when Israel was in slavery to Egypt. And he kind of, you know, helped uh, get, get the people free from that slavery and, and led them. And Moses had, like, I think the most unique relationship with God than anybody else on the planet. You know, like he, he, it says like he would go up on a mountain and he would just like talk with God 
as you and I, I don't even understand totally what this means, but like as you and I would talk to each other, like two friends face to face, and he literally would come down glowing, <laughs> like spending time in the presence of God. He had to veil his face because he was glowing from it. So I, I look at him and I'm like, man, that is somebody who had a deep, intimate relationship with the God of the universe, right? And then you read about Moses' life, and the very people that God was speaking to Moses, that Moses then would lead and would tell them what God was saying, there were times in Moses' life and leadership where they wanted to kill him. <laughs> like, literally, they didn't want to have anything to do with him, right? Hmm. Probably the second person I think about is Elijah. You guys know Elijah in the Bible? Elijah is probably the most significant of the prophets in the Old Testament. So a prophet of God. God speaks to the prophet. The prophet speaks to the people. And so Elijah, if, you, if you've never read much about Elijah, read in 1 Kings, the, the teens, the teen chapters in 1 Kings, and like read about his life and the, the miraculous supernatural things that God did through Elijah. Like he had this, this intimate relationship with God, and yet for a large chunk of his life, he was on the run from the two most powerful people in, in his world, in that region of the world, King Ahab and his queen Jezebel, they wanted to kill him. <laughs> and so they chased him for years. He was on the run from them. And in fact, at one point, he prayed, God, just take my life. I can't do this anymore. Like, that's the desperation that he got to. I think, hmm. and probably the next part I think about is David, King David, right? So David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, a guy who the Bible describes, the only person who describes as a man after God's own heart. And so the, the, the Psalms, the book of Psalms in our Bible, most of them, many of them are written by David. You know, and you're like, man, this dude had a deep relationship with God, like an intimate relationship with God. And God chose him to be the king, the next king, when the current king was already there and he wasn't doing very well, a guy named King Saul. And Saul knew that. And David lived many years running from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. And then you think about like every other prophet in the Old Testament and almost all of them were killed by the very people that God was calling them to speak to, to lead. Like they had these incredible relationships with God, like an intimacy that is unique, right? And they spoke for God to the people and, and literally almost every single one was, was murdered, was, was killed for their relationship with God. And, and then, you know, maybe we go, well, that's Old Testament times. You know, that's many years ago. It's different in the New Testament. We started thinking about some of the New Testament people that we would look at and we would go, man, that is somebody who had a deep, intimate relationship with God. Like they were close with God. I think of Peter, right? Like Peter was the, you know, one of Jesus' closest friends. He became the leader of the church when Je after Jesus ascended up into heaven. And you look at Peter's life and you go, man, he was killed. He was tortured and murdered by the Roman government for being a Christian. He was hung on a cross uh, upside down, so he's killed that way, upside down because he didn't feel like it, he was worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. So he said, crucify me upside down, and so they did. I think about a guy named Paul, right? If you've read, you know, most of the New Testament letters are written by Paul. Paul was a persecutor of Christians while Jesus was alive, and then he met the risen Jesus on uh, this, this road, this journey in Dema to Damascus. And Paul is kind of a unique, he's kind of an extreme case. In 2 Corinthians 11, it talks about some of the persecution, some of the hard stuff that Paul went through in his life because he's a Christian. 
So it says, he was imprisoned more than once. He was whipped with the 39 lashes, which if you know anything about that, it, it is a brutal, brutal beating. 39 lashes on the back, rip up your skin. He had that five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned once and lived. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and night floating around in open sea. He was, uh, faced all kinds of dangers and heartaches from all kinds of different people. He went around for extended periods of time with not enough to eat, not enough to drink, and not enough clothes to keep him warm. And you're like, all of that was because of his love for Jesus. God was calling. He had this close relationship with God. You think about the suffering. I think about John, probably Jesus' closest friend on earth, the Apostle John. John actually was not killed because of his faith. Uh, he almost was. He was uh, boiled in oil to, to torture him, and somehow he survived. I don't know how he survived that, but he survived. And so they just ripped him away from his family and friends, and they exiled him to some remote island to live out the rest of his life. So when he wrote the book of Revelation. Interesting. You think about all the other apostles in general, and every so these are the people that were closest to Jesus as he walked the earth, and every other one of them, except Judas, who, who took his own life, but all the rest of them were killed, were murdered, were persecuted and murdered because of their faith. And you hear that, and you're like, hmm, do I, do I still want to have a close relationship with God? It reminds me of what that guy Paul wrote to a young pastor that he was mentoring. We're talking about eye care mentoring, right? So this was a young pastor that Paul was mentoring, a guy named Timothy. This is what he wrote to him. He said, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It reminds me of what it says in 2 Corinthians 2. This is an interesting passage. It says that to God, we Christians, if you sit here today and you're a Christian, to God, we are the aroma of Christ and salvation to him. You know, like metaphorically speaking, I guess, we are the aroma, the smell of Christ to him and salvation. But to others that don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, we're a different smell. You know what it is? You know what it says? Smell of death. And it's not a good smell, right? And you think about all that stuff, and you go, I, do I still you know, want to be close with God? You know, like knowing all of these things could be in my future? Does it deter me? Does it scare me? Does it confuse me? You know, like, how do you feel about that? And maybe, and maybe you sit here this morning and you go, well, yeah, but... Even that, all the New Testament stuff was a couple thousand years ago. You know, like we live in a different time. We live in a different age. It reminds me of the story of um, Kenji Gatto. Kenji Gatto was a Japanese Christian journalist. So this is just from a few, a few years ago. And Kenji, um, so he's a Christian, and he felt like his uh, uh, purpose in life, his mission in life, was to go to some of the deepest, darkest places in the world and tell the story of the ordinary people who were being persecuted by like, like their lives destroyed by these militant factions that were trying to gain power and control. So he would go to areas like Syria and Somalia and Iraq and he would just talk to the people whose lives were being destroyed by groups like ISIS and things. 
especially children. You know, he wanted to tell the this, this story and, and pictures of children, right? Until he got captured by ISIS. They found out who he was, what he was doing, and uh, they bartered with his life to try to get another terrorist released. That terrorist wasn't released, and so they murdered him on video and then broadcast it on the internet. Maybe you heard of it a few years ago. It reminds me of um, what our brothers and sisters in Pakistan are going through these days. I don't know how much you know about Pakistan. Pakistan, last, last I read, was the fourth most dangerous place on the country, in, I'm sorry, in the world, fourth most dangerous country to be a Christian in. And uh, just last year, there were two court cases that came down within a month of each other. Um, one of them was about 42 Christians who, there's not a whole lot of Christians in Pakistan, but 42 of them were sentenced for murder and terrorism after two Muslim men came into their church on a Sunday morning during services and started killing, like a bomb, actually let off a bomb. And a riot ensued afterwards, and these two Muslim men were killed in the riot. And instead of them being held accountable for going in and bombing you know, the, the church, uh, instead the Christians who got bombed were found guilty, and they were sentenced, again, for murder and for terrorism. While just um, a month earlier than that, um, over 100 Muslims, about 112, I think was the exact number, 112 Muslims were acquitted after they were arrested for, initially arrested for ransacking, looting, and setting fire to more than a Christian, 100 Christian homes in the area. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of Christians there. The ones that are there kind of stay together. And so there was this small Christian community there. And uh, these men went in there uh, to just kill people and destroy everything they have. And so over a hundred homes they uh, attempted to destroy. And even though there was video footage of it, even though there was documentation of these men doing this, even though literally there's pictures of it, uh, each of these 112 men were acquitted. They were found not guilty. And, and maybe you hear that and you're like, well, yeah, but that happens in other parts of the world. You know, like persecution, you know, happens in the Middle East, but like we live in America where we're free and that kind of stuff, you know, doesn't happen here. And, I, and I'll give you, I think there's some truth to that. Persecution looks different in our country than it does, you know, like in places in the Middle East. Um, but I think it's interesting, um, not in a good way, how our country is changing. You know, you ask any of the pollster groups, the groups that do these polls and census, and they will all tell you the same thing, that our country is fast approaching the designation of being a post-Christian country. You know, I don't know that we were ever really a Christian country, but it was a lot safer. Uh, it was more pervasive. Christianity was more pervasive in the past. But they would all say that we're either there now or we will be soon, that we are a post-Christian country. So most of the nation now are not Christians and don't have a high value for Jesus or the tenets of Christianity. And church violence is escalating in our country, right? And so we hear a lot about school shootings, and rightly so. I think it's one of the most tragic things in our era. But did you know that in 2016, violent deaths were more prevalent in faith-based institutions than they were in schools? And I think it was last year, the, uh, we had the most devastating, the biggest church massacre, church shooting in the history of our country in Sutherland, Texas, the First Baptist Church there. 26 people 
were brutally massacred there during bust into the service and do that. And let's be honest, like in, in our world today, holding on to Christian beliefs, like believing what the Bible teaches is fast being seen as, you know, passe at best. Like, oh, that, like, you know, you still believe that kind of stuff? Like, seriously? Like passe at best or bigoted or hateful at worst, you know? Like there's things that we could say, we could recite, we could believe that the Bible says that people would look at us and go, that's hate speech. How could you say that? You're, you're, you must be hating people, right? It's persecution, man. It's real, right? It doesn't just happen in other parts of the world, but it happens with us too. And Jesus knew and experienced that, of course. The apostles knew and experienced that, his early disciples, and every Christian since then has known and experienced that, and we should expect that as well. And so I want to challenge you this morning. We're going we're gonna to kind of dig into um, something that Jesus says here, and then we're going to talk about it. Like, what does it look like in our country to be persecuted? Are we, do you, do you sit here this morning, and do you feel like, um, yeah, there's times in my life when I am persecuted for being a Christian? Or do you feel, sit here this morning and go, I don't think I ever experienced that. I, I, I'll have something to share with you with that as well. But this is what we're going to dig into this morning. I want to challenge you to think about, like, how does it, what does this look like in my life today? So we've been in this series um, over the last eight weeks. This is the last week of the series. We're going to finish it up today um, called Happy. So I realize the sermon does not feel very happy at this point. Um, but we've been in this series called Happy. And what we've been doing is looking at uh, the very first recorded sermon that we have of Jesus in the Bible. So it's in Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's his most famous teaching in the Bible. And so you, you get the, the scene. There's this big group of people, this crowd of people that are following Jesus. And they're hurting and they're struggling. Right? And so they're following him. And Jesus goes up on the side of a mountain so he can be elevated above them. So his voice carries. And he starts to teach them. And the first thing that he teaches them is about happiness. And so this is a happy, starved group of people. And the first thing that he talks about is happiness. And it's this little section at the beginning of the sermon that's called the Beatitudes. And Beatitude is a Latin word that just means blessed or blessed. And so as we read these each week, you'll see it says, blessed are the, blessed are the, lots of different times. That word blessed, it just means, it's another word for happy. In fact, some of the uh, translations in our Bible say happy, right? And so it's like extreme happiness. And so what Jesus does is he gives us eight different reasons, eight different things that lead to a, a, an extreme happiness. Like when we talk about happiness, we live in a happy star culture now too, right? Like everybody wants to be happy. Very few people like would say, yes, I am happy. We talked about some statistics with that earlier in this series. But Jesus says these are eight things that lead to a different sort of happiness, a deeper sort of happiness, a more lasting sort of happiness. And so what we've been doing each week is kind of digging into each, to one of these. Uh, and then again, this week we're in the last one. So ironically, where we're going to uh, be today is Jesus says, happy, blessed, or happy are you when you're persecuted, when you're experiencing persecution. So I want to read this together. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. This is what he said. So here we go, Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We're going to talk about this week. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Each week of this series, I've been challenging you uh, to memorize this. You know, to, like it's, it's not very many verses. You know, we, we've been doing a ver- basically a verse a week, you know, and so you memorize one verse and it kind of builds on the last one. And so um, I hope that you've had a chance to do that. I've been doing it. The last two services, I took the risk of reciting them from memory up front. First service, I did perfect. Last service, I messed up. So I'm not going to do it this service because I don't want to mess up. But I want to challenge you guys. Seriously, I want to challenge you. Um, This has been, I think it's helpful, like when we're going through hard stuff, to like have God's word deep within our heart. You know, like when we're going through, when we're not feeling very merciful with somebody, somebody's driving us crazy, and we're not feeling very merciful, to be able to remember, blessed are those who are merciful, they will be shown mercy. Being reminded of God's mercy toward us so that we could extend it to others. Like when it's in us, you know, there's just something deeper and more impactful that way. So I want to challenge you guys again uh, to memorize this. This morning, again, we're going to be in the last beatitude. And what I want to do is um, really um, what we've been doing the last few weeks. Uh, I, 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 if maybe if there's one thing this morning as a pastor that I want you guys to get, is like this is accessible to us, you know? Like this is Bible. Sometimes we can look at the Bible and go, you know, I'm not a good reader. I have trouble understanding it, whatever. But like what we're going to do this morning is we're going to dig into a few words and, or phrases in, this, uh, in, in these few verses. And we're just going to try to understand what they mean. So dig into them in a little bit deeper way. Understand what they mean so we can understand kind of the broader context of what Jesus is saying. And then we're going to apply it. We're going to talk about like what difference does it make in our lives today. And so what we're going to do, every single one of you could do if we're willing to take the time to do it, right? And maybe jump on the internet and say, well, you know, what exactly does persecuted mean? You can go into it and you can see if we're willing to do that. So what we're going to do, we could all do, okay? So what I want to do first is I, I think I have six. Um, you, the last few weeks has been two or three. We get more verses this week. So there's six things that I think in order to understand what Jesus is talking about, we need to, we need to clarify. So I want to do that quickly, seven, eight minutes, something like that, okay? And then I want to spend the rest of our time just kind of talking about so what? You know, what, what different? We don't live in the Middle East. We don't, I don't know that any of us will ever um, experience somebody putting a gun to our head and say, um, either deny Jesus or die. But persecution is real, right? Paul says, if you want to live a, life, a godly life in Christ Jesus, persecution is going to come, right? And so I want to talk about, I want to apply that to our lives. So here's the first thing. So six things. Um, words or phrases that I, I feel like I just want to um, define for us so that we're all on the same page. Here's the first one. It's persecute, okay? So blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, right? And so this word persecute, so in the original language, so the Bible's not written in English, of course, right? So the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. The New Testament's written in Greek. So we're in the New Testament. So the original word is this word dioko. And what it means is to chase away. Here's what persecute means. To chase away, to make flee, to subject to systematic harassment and attack. And so you think about that and you think, have I ever been chased away from something or someone? 
You know, like maybe I was connected with a group of people or, you know, an organization and something went sideways, something went bad, and they chased me away. That's that word persecution, right? It's, it's when you're harassed and say, we don't want you here anymore. That's what that word persecution means. Here's the second word, insult. Probably hear the word insult, we go, I know what it means to be insulted. I've been insulted many times in my life. But what it means, a little more fully here, is to mock to revile, to find fault in a harsh and demeaning manner. And so you think about that and you go, have I ever been mocked? Have I ever been insulted? And not like, you know, when your friends are like ragging on you, but like, like legitimately. Someone is reviled by you. Someone is finding fault in everything that you do. Like your life is under a microscope and they're looking for every little thing that you do wrong so that they can pick at you and they could harass you. That's, that's what this word insult means, right? It feels terrible. It feels terrible. That's what Jesus is talking about. How about the next one? They falsely say all kinds of evil. To falsely say all kinds of evil. We see the Greek words there. What it means, kind of means what, it, what you think it means. It means to lie about somebody. Right? It means to speak falsely, to damage one's reputation. It means to slander somebody else. Let me ask you, you ever had people tell lies about you? Have you ever have people slander you where they feel like it's their job to damage your reputation? That is a horrible feeling. I've had that. I bet many of you have as well. That is especially when what they're saying is not true and when they're making stuff, stuff up just to hurt you. That, that's what Jesus is talking about here. This is the kind of persecution he's talking about here. When they're telling lies about you just to hurt you and make people think less of you. That's what this phrase is talking about. How about the next one? Righteousness, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This word righteousness, it just means just or justice. It means conformity to the law, like conformity to, um, to morality as defined by God. And so you hear that and you're like, okay, like what is Jesus saying here? So this is the reason for the persecution, for the insults, for the false slander. So what does Jesus mean here? Is he just talking about being persecuted for being a good guy, or for being a good girl, you know, for like doing the right thing, and somebody's like, I don't like you because you're, you know, you're making me feel bad about, that's not what he's talking about here. He's actually, he, he explains a little bit more in the second part. Look, look back at the verse. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes from, if you notice, he goes from third person to second person. So he says, blessed are those, and then he says, blessed are you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Why? Because of me, right? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. They persecuted the prophets the same way before you. So what's, what's the reason for the persecution that, that Jesus is talking about? What's the reason for the persecution? And the reason is him, right? He's talking about persecution that comes because we're a Christian, because we identify with Jesus, because I am a follower of his. Now, I would say all of this stuff, you know, these insults, this persecution, this slander against us, all this stuff feels terrible, no matter what the reason for it is, right? But specifically, what Jesus is talking about here, the reason isn't because of, you know, the way we look, or the color of our skin, or our accent, or our personality, or any of our weaknesses. That's not the reason for the persecution he's talking about. He's talking about being persecuted because of him, because of Jesus, 
the persecution that comes with being a Christian. And he says, it's the same thing that happened to the prophets who were before us. And you read that and you're like, well, why, do you, why does he bring that up? Well, he brings it up because if you've ever experienced persecution for being a Christian, it feels like you're all alone. You know, it feels like you're the only one who's experienced this. It can be a very, very lonely place. And Jesus is like, uh-uh. Like, this has been happening since the very beginning. This has been happening since, like, forever. The people that love God, trials come. Persecution comes because not everybody loves God, right? Here's the fifth one. Two more. Here's the fifth one. So he says, rejoice and be glad. This is an interesting one. So when you face these hard things, these trials, these insults and persecution and slander because of him, he says rejoice and be glad. And so these two words, they're synonyms for each other. And they, so they mean very much the same thing. And what they mean is kind of what they say, a, a extreme happiness, joy, elation. And, and I don't know what goes through your head when you think about that, like you think about being persecuted. But it almost sounds nonsensical to to think about being joyous and being glad in that, right? Like, what are you saying, Jesus? When, when people are being rotten to me, feel really good. Be happy. And you go, how can I be happy? I don't feel happy. What is Jesus talking about? I like how there's a guy that I read this week named Craig Blomberg. I love how he said it. I thought this was so insightful. He said, the joy commanded here as elsewhere in scripture is not an emotion, but an attitude. The joy that Jesus talks about here is not an emotion. It's not what we might naturally feel in the moment, but it's an attitude that we choose to have. There's a difference there, right? And you so say you think about that more broadly in the Bible too. Like there's lots of different places the Bible says, take joy. You read the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is all about joy. The joy of the Lord, right? Like how do I feel joy? How can I be joyous when I don't feel joyous? You choose to be joyous, Right? And so I choose, like when I've experienced perse persecution, I choose to remember the prophets who were persecuted before me. I choose to remember the apostles who were persecuted before me. I choose to remember Jesus who was persecuted before me. And then I choose joy and gladness because I get to be, I get to be part of that company. The prophets, the apostles, and Jesus. That's a challenging thought, right? Like when we're in the middle of it, when you're, when you're struggling and hurting and being persecuted, joy and gladness is not naturally what we would feel or what we would even want to feel. We'll come back to that one. Here's the last one, kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. So you see the Greek words there. The home and dominion of God and his angels, his domain. And so this is kind of how, this is the promise that's attached to it, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's God's home. And so if you read a little bit later in verse 12, Jesus says that like this is the reward for those of us that love him. This is the reward that's to come for those of us that love him. There's a life to come. Like this life isn't all that there is, which is very important for us to remember when we're in the midst of persecution, right? Like there is a paradise to come that we don't exactly know what it's going to be like. The Bible is actually strangely quiet on the specifics of what eternity with God is going to be like. I actually don't, we know it's going to be really, really good. We know it's going to be so much better than anything in this life that all of the trials, all of the struggles of this life kind of just don't matter anymore compared to like what's to come, the paradise that's to come for us. 
I, I read a book um, one time. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, but it, it was, I remember the title. The title was just Heaven Better by Far. <laughs> I, I love it. Like that, the, the Bible doesn't say a ton about heaven. Revelation talks about it. It's very you know, metaphorical. It's very symbolic. And so the specifics, like I don't really know exactly what it's going to be like. But I know it's going to be far better than anything I've experienced and anything that I could ever imagine. So, so okay, so those are six, six words and phrases. And we go, okay, I need to understand these to understand what Jesus is talking about here. Let's start to apply it a little bit. So, like, what does is, what is persecution um, look like in our context? What does it look like in our lives? Um, let me give you, I, I got five things. I'm just going to kind of throw them out there. And we'll talk about it. I got five things that I, I think are important for us to get as we talk about persecution. Here's the first one. Christians should expect persecution. Christians should expect persecution. Like it shouldn't surprise us, you know? It's it's part of it's part of life. Like we live in a country where maybe it does surprise us when it happens. But man, you read in the Bible and you're like, no, no, this was like normal for Christians. You hear about stuff going on in other countries, and you're like, this is normal. for We're the ones that are abnormal, that we're not persecuted as much as many others have been and are, right? But persecution, like we should expect persecution because we live in a fallen world where there's lots of darkness and light chases away darkness. And sometimes the darkness doesn't want to be chased away. Sometimes people prefer to live in darkness rather than the light. And so persecution will come. Let me remind you of what it said earlier in 2 Timothy 3. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not, not some people, not a few people, but everyone. I asked you earlier, I said, who wants to live a godly life? I looked at your faces. Some of you went, me, me. Nod your head. You want to live a godly Yes, I want to live a godly life. Persecution's part of it. And, and maybe this morning as you sit here, if you're not a Christian, you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian, you should know this going into it. Like this is part of the package. This is part of the deal. It's not always popular to be a Christian. Sometimes people won't want to have anything to do with you. Sometimes they'll say rotten things about you because of what you believe, right? Like we should expect persecution. How about this? Here's the second thing. Persecution comes in various forms. Persecution comes in various forms. So again, chances are no one's going to bust in here and start shooting. Heaven forbid, Lord forbid. But chances are that's never going to happen. Chances are no one's going to come to you and put a gun to your head and say renounce Jesus or die. And yet persecution can be very real for us as well. Think about what it looks like in our context. Think about your own life. Like have, you ever, have you ever felt like you were persecuted because of your faith? I tell you how it often, not often, I don't want to exaggerate, but when, we, when I experience persecution, here's how it usually happens. Um, people find out that I'm a committed Christian. I, I wait to tell people I'm a pastor as long as possible. I never like give that information first. You know, I wait for them to tell me. Because the reality is once a lot of people hear that, it puts up a wall and they stop wanting to have anything to do with you, you know? And so I've had numerous relationships with people that once they find out that, like, you know, I'm pretty into Jesus, they stop calling, 
Or, you know, you don't get, Marcia and I had some friends that were not Christians, not part of a church, that we were pretty close with. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I, as time goes on, you know, they start to know about your life, you know, as you're talking to them. Maybe talk about something I heard at church or something that I read in the Bible that, that kind of hit me, you know, just stuff like you talk about. And as time goes on, you know, you start to see that they're hanging out together without you. I mean, they have a New Year's Eve party and you're not invited to it anymore because, you know, they're drinking or whatever and they think you're going to be like a stick in the mud and you're going to be sitting in judgment of them. You ever been persecuted in that way where it's like people look at your life and they go, he's, he's going to be like a stick in the mud. I don't, I'm not going to have him over anymore. I'm not going to include them in the group anymore. That's persecution. Maybe for you, it's um, you didn't get that promotion at work because you weren't willing to cut the corners. You weren't willing to look the other way because of your faith, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus says and the ways that we should live. Maybe for you, that's the kind of persecution that you've experienced. Maybe it's getting made fun of by people. I, I'll be honest with you. I remember in high school, I had a good friend who was a very committed Christian, and we used to make fun of him all the time. Now look at me. <laughs> right? But I mean, you know, maybe that happens to you. Maybe people look at you and like, eh, you're kind of a prude. You're sheltered. I assume that you are no fun because you're a Christian, right? I still have somebody, a very successful business person who um, calls me preacher man. You're the preacher man in a really condescending sort of way. Like, that's really sweet for you. But I do really important stuff in life, you know? And maybe for you, that's the kind of persecution. People kind of make fun of you. Maybe if you're a student, you know, you're not getting invite, invited to the party because people know that you're different and you won't do some of the stuff that they're doing. And maybe you'll make them feel bad about themselves so you don't get invited. That's persecution. Or maybe you sit here this morning and you go, I, I've never been persecuted. It's legit. Maybe, maybe you sit here and yeah, I, like what you're talking about, Jeff, I cannot relate to. <laughs> I've, I've never experienced that. Not the extremes, but also not like this other stuff. I've never experienced that. I've been a Christian for 25 years. I've never experienced that. Well, I'd say two things. Number one, maybe you're lucky and your time is coming, right? Or maybe people just don't know that you're a Christian. This was really challenging for me this week. Like, I don't think that we should be like seeking out persecution in some like masochistic sort of way. That's not what I'm talking about. But maybe, like, we never talk about Jesus. Maybe we never talk about what we're learning in the Bible. Maybe we think, ah, it's just, it's private. I keep it to myself. I don't, I don't want to offend other people. And people don't know that you're a Christian. And so you're never persecuted. I think that happens often, right? Can I challenge you in that? That that's not the way that Jesus calls us to live out our faith. It's personal, but it's not private. We don't just keep it to ourselves. And it's not that hard, again, to like, in a conversation, how you doing? Right, you get asked that question all the time. How's it going? How's your week? Good, you know what? I had this time this week when I was reading something, and man, it just struck me. It kind of messed me up. Like, how hard is it to say something like that? And then you're talking about God with somebody. You know, if we're intentional, it's easy to do that. 
maybe, maybe a question we need to ask ourselves. So persecution comes in various forms. If we sit here this morning and we're like, I've never, been, I've never experienced that. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, do people even know that you're a Christian? You know? Like, do they know? Here's, here's the third thing. It's not me who's the cause of the persecution. It's the gospel. So this is kind of a silly thing, but it's probably important to say. It's not me who's the cause of the persecution. Like, can we be clear here? We're not talking about being persecuted because we are offensive to other people. We're talking about being persecuted because the gospel can be offensive to other people. Guys, let's be honest. Sometimes Christians can be the most arrogant, judgmental, condescending people on the planet. Sometimes Christians drive me absolutely bonkers because of the things that they say and the way they make people feel. And then they're persecuted, they're insulted, and slanderous things are said against them that maybe are accurate or deserving, right? The kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about here isn't because, like, we are offensive to people. It's because sometimes the gospel smells like death to people that don't want it, that aren't interested. It's the gospel that's offensive, it's not us. Here's the next thing, here's the fourth thing. I think this is the thing that hit me the hardest this week. There is a blessing and joy in suffering for Jesus. There's a blessing and joy in suffering for Jesus. There's a blessing and joy in being persecuted for Jesus because he suffered for us and he was persecuted for us. Like, I don't even really know how to explain this. I think this is part of the joy and the gladness that Jesus is talking about. I don't fully know why but somehow it connects me to Jesus in a deeper way when I suffer for him, when I'm persecuted for him. Like somehow it reminds me of how he suffered for me. And, it, and as rotten as it feels to be persecuted or kicked out, you know, or insulted or people picking at you, you know, trying to make you look bad because of your faith, because maybe what your faith is making them feel like, as rotten as all of that is, somehow when I experience that for Christ's sake, it helps me connect better with Jesus because it reminds me of all the ways that he suffered for me, that, that big cross back there, you know. And then when I'm reminded of him, that helps me to endure the suffering. It reminds me of what it says in Hebrews 12. So, so the author of Hebrews is writing to people who are being persecuted for their faith. And he said, let us run with perseverance, with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, here's the suffering, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Somehow, through the pain of persecution, of people saying and doing rotten things to us because we're Christians, somehow through all of that stuff, um, when I suffer for my love for Jesus, it helps me understand how Jesus suffered because of his love for me. And it just helps me connect with him in a way that I don't know that we could connect with him otherwise. As rotten as it is, there's this redeeming quality about being persecuted for Christ that we get to know him more intimately. We get to know him better, which kind of leads to the last one. Here's the last thing. There's a reward to come that's better by far. There's a reward to come 
That's better by far. It's interesting. I don't know if you caught this. The Beatitudes begin and end with the same promise, right? So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the promise. Blessed are you. Here's the promise. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. The last one we're talking about today, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the same blessing that's attached to both of these, the first and the last one. That's a literary tool often used in Hebrew writing. It's called an inclusio. An inclusio. And what it is, it's basically a bookend. It kind of bookends what's talked about. And it emphasizes something really, really important, something really, really relevant. And the really, really important, really, really relevant thing that it emphasizes here is that all of these blessings, all of these things that Jesus says lead to deep and lasting, meaningful happiness described in the Beatitudes, they all culminate in the ultimate blessing. And the ultimate blessing is spending eternity forever in a paradise with the Father God, the God of the universe, a paradise that's better than anything that we could ever imagine, spending eternity with him there with a God who loves us and that we love. Like, that's the ultimate blessing. And when we're hurting and we're struggling, whether it's persecution or something else, like maybe this morning you walk in here and you're like, I don't feel like I'm being persecuted, but man, I'm hurting and I'm struggling and the weight of this life is driving me crazy. If that's you this morning, it's a beautiful promise that when we hold fast to Jesus, there's a life to come that is better by far than anything that we could imagine. We don't know the specifics, but we know it's going to make everything in this life pale in comparison. Like as much pain and heartache as we feel at times here and now, it'll be gone one day because of how good it's going to be in the life to come where we get to see Jesus, we get to be with Jesus face to face. I'll end with this. On Friday, I was, um, in my own like personal time with God, I read um, through a, a one-year Bible, and so every, every day there's like a, a reading. And it just so happened that the reading that I was in on Friday was in First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 4. And I just didn't think of this passage when I was preparing my sermon, but I read this and I was like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And I just want to read it to you. I'll end with this. So Paul's writing and he says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, maybe this morning you feel like you got a lot of troubles in your life. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I thought, that's, that's a great reminder. Our light and momentary troubles all be gone one day. But there is a lasting paradise and joy and satisfaction that's coming when we hold tight to Jesus. So I'm going to invite the band. Why don't you guys come on up? And I thought it'd just be appropriate for me to, to end in prayer, maybe specifically about the Beatitudes, that we'd live this stuff out. Like that we, it wouldn't be a series that we do and then we sort of move on with life, but we'd, uh, we'd really apply this to our lives. So let me pray for us.